Welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. We are your hosts, Bill Taub and Dave Tilly. Hi, welcome to yet another episode of Homeland Heroes Salute. Uh, this is Phil Taub and along with my colleague, David Tilly. We're very happy to welcome you here. Uh, we have a very special guest who I'm going to introduce here in a moment. And we're going to do something a little bit different. I, I really want to start here by reading to you a citation from President Ronald Reagan. And uh, it goes like this. The President of the United States of America authorized by two of Congress, March 3rd, 1863, has awarded in the name of the Congress, the Medal of Honor to Master Sergeant Roy P. Benavidez, United States Army, retired. The citation goes as follows. For conspicuous gallantry, and intrepidity in action at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. On May 2nd, 1968, Master Sergeant, then Staff Sergeant, Roy P. Benavidez distinguished himself by a series of daring and extremely valorous actions while assigned to Detachment B-56 5th Special Forces Airborne, 1st Special Forces Republic of Vietnam. On the morning of 2 May 1968, a 12-man Special Forces Reconnaissance Team was inserted by helicopters of the 240th Assault Helicopter Company in a dense jungle area west of Loc Ninh, Vietnam, to gather intelligence information about confirmed large-scale enemy activity. This area was controlled and routinely patrolled by the North Vietnamese Army. After a short period of time on the ground, the team met heavy enemy resistance and requested emergency extraction. Three helicopters attempted extraction but were unable to land due to intense enemy small arms and anti-aircraft fire. Sergeant Benavidez was at the forward operating base in Loch monitoring the operations by radio when these helicopters of the 240th Assault Helicopter Company returned to offload wounded crew members and to assess aircraft damage. Sergeant Benavidez voluntarily boarded a returning aircraft to assist in another extraction attempt. Realizing that all the team members were either dead or wounded and unable to move to the pickup zone, he directed the aircraft to a nearby clearing where he jumped from the hovering helicopter and ran approximately 75 meters under withering small arms fire to the crippled team. Prior to reaching the team's position, he was wounded in his right leg, face and head. Despite these painful injuries, he took charge, repositioning the team members and directing their fire to facilitate the landing of an extraction aircraft and the loading of wounded and dead team members. He then threw smoke canisters to direct the aircraft to the team's position. Despite his severe wounds and under intense enemy fire, he carried and dragged half of the wounded team members to the awaiting aircraft. 
He then provided protective fire by running alongside the aircraft as it moved to pick up the remaining team members. As the enemy's fire intensified, he hurried to recover the body and classified documents on the dead team leader. When he reached the leader's body, Sergeant Benavidez was severely wounded by small arms fire in the abdomen and grenade fragments in his back. At nearly the same moment, the aircraft pilot was mortally wounded and his helicopter crashed. Although in extreme critical condition due to his multiple wounds, Sergeant Benavidez secured the classified documents and made his way to the wreckage where he aided the wounded out of the overturned aircraft and gathered the stunned survivors into a defensive perimeter. Under increasing enemy automatic weapons and grenade fire, he moved around the perimeter, distributing water and ammunition to his weary men, reinstilling in them a will to live and fight. Facing a buildup of enemy opposition with a beleaguered team, Sergeant Benavidez mustered his strength, began calling in tactical airstrikes and directed the fire from supporting gunships to suppress the enemy's fire and so permit another extraction attempt. He was wounded again in his thigh by small arms fire while administering first aid to a wounded team member just before another extraction helicopter was able to land. His indomitable spirit kept him going as he began to ferry his comrades to the aircraft. On his second trip with the wounded, he was clubbed from behind by an enemy soldier. In the ensuing hand-to-hand combat, he sustained additional wounds to his head and arms before killing his adversary. He then continued under devastating fire to carry the wounded to the helicopter. Upon reaching the aircraft, he spotted and killed two enemy soldiers who were rushing the craft from an angle that prevented the aircraft door gunner from firing upon them. With little strength remaining, he made one last trip to the perimeter to ensure that all classified material had been collected or destroyed and to bring in the remaining wounded. Only then, in extreme serious condition from numerous wounds and loss of blood, did he allow himself to be pulled into the extraction aircraft. Sergeant Benavidez's gallant choice to join voluntarily his comrades who were in critical straits, to expose himself constantly to withering enemy fire, and his refusal to be stopped despite numerous severe wounds saved the lives of at least eight men. His fearless personal leadership, tenacious devotion to duty, and extremely valorous actions in the face of overwhelming odds were in keeping with the highest traditions of the military service and reflect the utmost credit on him and the United States Army, Ronald Reagan. So I'm very pleased today to be able to welcome Yvette Benavidez, the daughter of the man, the Medal of Honor recipient, whose citation we just heard. Yvette, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And um, I appreciate the fact that you read his citation. So many emotions come up when I hear that. First, you know, I think of my dad having to, to relive that day every time he heard the citation. And um, 
I never really imagined how difficult it might be and the emotions that it conjures up for anybody who's listening, who's been to war. Um, but it does bring back some painful memories. And I know it did for him too. He had to relive it um, every time that he heard that. I'm all, I also feel so much pride, obviously, because that's my dad. And um, I'm proud that he did everything that he could to try to save all of his brothers in arms. And I know that he um, wanted to save as many as he could, um, but it wasn't possible. So I, I have that overwhelming sense of pride every time that I hear that. And I also, you know, I get emotional hearing about it because what he did and what others do and have done, they give up so much of their livelihood, their, they give up their tomorrows so that we can enjoy our todays. They give up their mental fortitude, their emotional being, um, they give up everything. They, they risk so much for the freedom that we enjoy today. And so um, I feel very grateful when I hear his citation. So thank you for, for honoring him today by reading that. Thank you, Yvette. You know, when you, so first of all, how old were you uh, when he was awarded the Medal of Honor? I was 11 years old when he received the Medal of Honor back in 1981. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and, you know, you, you had a lifetime, you know, with your dad, I, you know, it's, I've been blessed to meet a number of Medal of Honor recipients. And obviously, I mean, for our listeners, most of them know there are very, very few living Medal of Honor recipients in our country today. And, uh, and so this, this is a, you know, very sort of elite company and, and they don't give that out easily. Um, well, you know, what was inside of your dad, you know, that, that, takes him through a day like that and and you know he just keeps going you know getting shot getting stabbed in the thick of it obviously not thinking about himself but give us a sense a little bit more about your father and you know how he's able to rise in that in that terrible moment you know right i you know i i, I get asked that a lot and i can only imagine what was going through my dad's mind when um he, because he wasn't supposed to be on that mission on may 2nd 1968 that earned him the medal of honor he um was attending a church service there on base and overheard uh the call for help and wanted to go uh he knew that his uh buddies were on that mission and um when he heard the call for help and could hear the distress that was taking place and he wanted to know what team what what who's who was on that team and nobody could really tell him. Um, then he took matters into his own hand and he grabbed a medic bag and a Bowie knife and he went on the helicopter. I, I can only imagine that, you know, aside from the adrenaline that was pumping, but just he wanted to help his buddies. Um, the camaraderie that they have in the military is just amazing. It's so paramount for anybody who, who lives that in that brotherhood. Um, so I know that, um, he just wanted to do whatever he could to help these men who were in um, just dire straits. Dire, they needed help. 
Um, I know that my father was a um, devout Catholic, so I know that um, he was constantly in prayer and truly God held his hand and carried him on that day. Um, and my mother also was very um, religious and had pinned him, you know, before he went off into his um, different missions. And when he left the state, she pinned him with the St. Christopher medal medallion for safe travels. And of course, um, the St. Michael medallion, which um, he carried in battle. And um, so, you know, I, I know that um, my dad, when, when, when you have that will and that fight to, to live and to survive, um, you know, nothing's going to bring you down or nothing's going to stop you. And, and that's just what he had in him. And, and we often wonder why didn't he die on that day? And so many others did. And, you know, for him to suffer the, so, so many wounds and, and, and gunshot wounds and grenade and just the, all of the things that happened to him when it was all said and done, he really should not have lived. And so he really um, was protected on that day and from every day after that. And Yvette, um, it's uh, Dave Tilly. And so during this whole time frame, you were how old again? 11? I was not born or during the May 2nd, 1968 mission. So um, that whole mission and in and of itself, the fact that he survived it is immensely powerful to me and my psyche mm -hmm. because had my father not lived, obviously I would have never been born. Gotcha. So, you know, the fact that he endured so many wounds and um, gunshot wounds and um, bayonet slashes and just everything that he went through, it's, it's truly is a miracle that he survived. So um, the fact that he lived, therefore I live. And I feel like it's my purpose in life to carry on his, to help to carry on his legacy um, along with my siblings because my dad was able to live through that and um, go on to be this military icon and help to educate and inspire the world. So talk about um, your time from that experience to... Uh you know, your childhood with your siblings through that? You know, I don't, my dad was such a humble guy. Mm -hmm. um, you, we did not realize the significance um, or his notoriety of who he was probably and not, I mean, probably on the week before he received the medal, that's when we kind of got a glimpse of, oh, okay, I think he, this is a big deal. This is like something special, but because prior to that, it really didn't click in our little minds because he was not one to flaunt or to toot his own horn or just, he, he just had a sense of pride in him and he didn't make it a big deal um, everything that he had gone through. And so, you know, in retrospect, as an adult, I see these little things now and I go, wow, you know, okay. For example, um, <laughs> if we were driving down the street, 
Um, you know, after my dad received the medal, he had a, a medal of honor, uh, license plate and right. you know, still at that point, you know, yes, we went through the whole ceremony and the pomp and circumstance and everything, but we were still a little naive as to the significance of who he was or who was, he was about to become because of that. And we could, we travel and I would see people passing us and, kind of waving and honking their horns. And then we'd stop at a rest area or we'd stop at a convenience store and people would be following us into the convenience store or the rest area. And they just wanted to shake his hand. They and I never knew, understood like, why do you want to shake my dad's hand? Like, how do you know him? And this, that, and the, well, they had seen the, maybe a bumper sticker that he had or the license plate, or, you know, if we traveled on a plane you know, my dad never met a stranger. So he was always engaging in conversation and people would, um, he was very friendly, very personable, always wanted to get to know you for who you were, never just shook your hand, took a picture. And that was it. I mean, he really got to know you and we could be on a plane and he'd be gone for a long time and then come back. And I'd be like, where have you been? And then no sooner than that, the pilot would get on and introduce my dad as being, you know, Medal of Honor recipient is on the plane. And then mm -hmm. that was it. Everybody knew then. But we really didn't, you know, think he was anything other than our dad. And that was the way he presented himself our entire life, even after he received the medal. Incredible. Just a great guy. He really yeah. was and continues to be. And so, Vet, thank you so much for sharing that. Let, let's talk a little bit about his legacy and, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what he would like his legacy to be and, and, and how you sort of view that and what you were doing to keep the legacy going. Well, we, my siblings and I, my sister Denise and my brother Noel, we try to um, educate our youth because my dad always said, you know, our youth are our future leaders. And so we, tr we try to do as much as possible to help keep his legacy alive. Even the grandkids, my dad and mom have eight grandchildren, seven of which are boys and one girl. And so even the grandkids try to get involved as much as they can by doing an interview here or there, or just keeping up on social media and talking about their grandfather. But um, the, one of the most important ways is uh, the way that we keep his legacy alive is, is by talking about him as much as we can and um, sharing um, any personal videos that we have or other videos that we have on him um, and sharing books that we have. And to this day, I mean, it's it's been 20 three, 24 years since his passing, and he is still relevant today in our society, which is um, a great tribute to him, but it's it's a good pat on our backs that we've kept his memory alive for the last 24 years. When we know once somebody has passed on, their legacy sometimes passes on with them and um, they don't have people to continue and to, to, to move it forward. And so we feel very blessed that uh, people are still keeping his uh, memory alive and they still want to know about him and they still want to hear about him and they still want to honor him. 
Um, we're in the process of um, hopefully republishing one of the first books that my father co-authored. Uh, he co-authored three of them. And the very first book was called um, The Three Wars of Roy Benavides. And so we're in the process of republishing that book because it's been out of publish for, for many, many, many years. So that's one way that we can help to, to carry on his legacy. Um, so many people ask us quite often if they can do a dedication of this, they can do a memorial of that on him. And we're very open, obviously, to the fact as, as long as it doesn't tarnish his name or what he stood for, we are open um, and we invite things like that into our, our lives because we want people to be, to continue to be inspired and educated by him. No, thank you for that. And so the the focus, I think, for him was was on the youth, right? And education yes. and right. Yes, you know, my dad and and I think he's so relevant today because he touches on so many different aspects of everybody's life. Like everybody who hears about him can relate to something that he went through in life. He was obviously orphaned at a very early age. He lost his mother um, to tuberculosis and then his uh, biological father to the same um, illness um, within five years. So by the time my dad was 10, he was orphaned and, um, he had a biological brother and they were going to be split up. And it was at the funeral of his father that, um, one of his father's brothers came from a neighboring town, which was a hundred miles away. He came to his brother's funeral noticed the boys and was like, you know, what's going to happen to these boys? And they said, well, we're, somebody's going to take him and somebody's going to take him. And so my dad's uncle said, no, I want them both. And so even though he had nine children of his own, he brought my dad and his brother, Roger back to El Campo to raise as his own. And so he was orphan. He lived in poverty um, he was discriminated against because of the color of his skin. He, um, bigotry, hatred. He was poor. I think we talked about that. Um, he also uh, was a migrant student. So if you're in the school setting, for those who are listening, you know that a migrant student are, are people whose families move from city to city in, in search of work. And so my dad was a part of that migrant family and they moved from city to city to state, picking cotton and um, trying to earn a living and then coming back to their hometown. So he was a migrant student. He was, um, in his words, not mine, he was, um, he, he was not educated enough to, to want to stay in school, so he hated school. He was dumb, in his words, not mine. Um, he didn't, um, he would pick a fight with, with anybody and everybody who looked at him, so, you know, we can all kind of relate to that, not wanting to go to school. We all know somebody who struggles with school. We all know somebody who thinks they're dumb because they can't learn. Um, he had to work out in the fields, you know, so he'd go out, work out in the fields, wake up very early, five o'clock in the morning, walk 
out to the fields, pick cotton, then try to walk back to school, but make it there by 7.30, try to sit in the classroom, um, wasn't learning anything because he was exhausted and tired. So of course he was not learning because he was falling asleep all the time. We all know those kids who have some kind of struggle in the household, which prevent them from learning and they fall asleep in class. Then he'd go back out into the fields and continue to work and then the cycle continued. And so he was a, a dropout. How many kids do we know? Um, who want to drop out of school at a very early age. He dropped out when he was in eighth grade. Um, he, you know, he, he got into some trouble. He was not a very nice person. Um, he was going to be sent away to a boy's home. Um, he needed a mentor in his life. I mean, every faucet of my dad's life, I think somebody can relate to that. And then he goes on into the military because he's, he figures, you know, I, I think I can get an education this way and I can travel the world this way and I can, they can help me to get my life grounded. Um, and then, you know, goes through a whole nother set of issues being in the military, you know, he's uneducated, so he doesn't know anything. Um, then he steps on land mine and becomes paralyzed um, you know, just the post-traumatic stress disorder of everything. I mean, just there's so many things that people I think can relate to my dad. Um, and so he's just trying, you know, as his children trying to get the word out that if he can do it and he can succeed in life, and he can completely turn his life around and do a 180, then you can too. Nothing is impossible. Yeah, incredible struggles and challenges and perseverance. Yes. You know, amazing, amazing story and then part of, uh, you know, what's part of our American dream. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. They're amazing. Yvette, I want to ask about the landmine because you mentioned that and I did read about that and, and talk a little bit about his recovery, right? Because, uh, you know, that showed a lot of tenacity and, and willpower and strength. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Right. So my dad did two tours in Vietnam and the very first tour that he did um, wasn't too far into um, being there that he stepped on a landmine and the jolt of the blast rattled his brain severely and he was obviously injured so he was flown back to the states and um he was flown to brick army medical center bamsey bamsey in um san antonio texas and um he was unconscious for a couple of days and my mom some of my uncles would bring my mom to visit him. And he was basically told that he was never going to walk again. So they were trying to give him therapy. They switched his therapy from, you know, can we get him to walk again to no, you're never going to walk again. Now let's change his therapy to um, him living a life as a paraplegic. And so that was all of the therapy that he was doing was based, you know, was geared towards that. And he knew that if he 
so many months afterwards that when he got released from the hospital, he knew that he was going to go back to a desk job and he did not want to do that. He wanted to go back into combat. Um, so he started doing, if they weren't going to do the therapy that he felt he needed, then he was going to do it himself. And so he did have some perseverance and he, he was very tenacious in everything that he did. Um, he was not getting, um, the therapy. So at night he would crawl out of bed, even though it was very painful and he would, um, crawl to the wall and try to hoist himself up between two tables and try to stand for as long as he could. Um, some of his uh, housemates in the, in the same room that he was in, they would place bets because they just knew he wasn't ever going to make it. And so they were placing their own bets and he'd get caught, you know, he'd fall, the nurse would come in, find him on the floor, the two orderlies would come and put him back in his bed, he'd do it again. I mean, he was he was not going to take no for an answer and if that was the only way that he could do the therapy that he needed then he was going to do it. And so he eventually um mustered enough strength to stand at one point and he he begged the doctors look if i can do this if i can stand will you tear up the the papers that you have for me to go into a desk job can you tear it up and they're like you know just to appease him yeah sure whatever we'll do that and so he was able to stand for a longer period of time and he was able to take a couple of steps and they were completely shocked. And so they ended up tearing up his the, the papers and the documents. And my dad ended up walking out of Mamsey um, 10 months later um, with my mom by his side. And he said, I had a, um, a little bit of a, a wobble, you know, to my to my walk. I wasn't walking completely straight, um, but but I did walk out of there. So. And that just goes to show that, I mean, the strength and the endurance and the mental fortitude that he had um, to, to even do that on his own, because that was obviously back in a time where they didn't have the machinery or the technology to help him do it by connecting things to his body to help him stimulate movement or to his brain to get that going a certain way. You know, now I think the technology is obviously way better and can help people who are in those situations where they, they're told they might not walk again. They have the technology to help them. And my dad didn't, he did it all on his own. So that's another attribute. You know, that just goes to show you that if you really do put your mind to doing something, you you can do it. Incredible. Yeah. A very, very tough man, you know, obviously very mentally tough and very driven. And, you know, just uh, I the, the word I keep thinking about is just American hero. You know, I mean, I know he was your dad and he did all of this. But for the rest of us, you know, who are not blessed to know him and meet him. Uh, you know, American hero, I think is the right word. Yeah. So. And the word that comes to my mind is, excuse my French, badass. So yeah. <laughs> on the same lines. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Yvette, um, I'll just, just on a side note. So we at, we are uh, in, in July every year. I, I bring about 30 Navy SEALs into New Hampshire. They descend on New Hampshire and you know, in this year of 2022, we have uh, Medal of Honor recipient Mike Thornton coming, right, mm -hmm. from the same era as your dad. 
uh, and I'm sure they knew each other. Yes. Uh, right. Another larger than life American hero, um, you know, who is tough as, as tough as they come. Right. Absolutely. So you're, ble- so you're very blessed to be in the presence of those men and yeah. women. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'm glad to see that they're finally building um, in Texas there, you know, the Medal of Honor recipient museum. Yes. And there's um, so many um, Medal of Honor recipients who are going to be showcased in that museum. And we um, we're proud to say that dad's going to be one of them. So we're very honored um, to be a part of that new family over there. And we can't wait for it to come to fruition in 2024. Yeah. I, well, listen, I'm going to see you there. I'm going to be there for the opening. I'm sure you will be. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. A, definitely. a well-known uh, astronaut Navy SEAL, um, uh, Chris Cassidy, right, took the job as the first uh, executive director of the museum. Awesome. Um, yes. Right. And uh, he, he's, he himself had a pretty incredible career from SEAL Team 6 to then uh, three times in space uh, and set a record for spacewalks, I think. But um, it was great to see him involved. I know that Mike Thornton and a number of other Medal of Honor recipients are very involved in it. So uh, it's, uh, it, it, is, it is long overdue, you know, in our country to have something like that put together and uh, keep the legacy of your dad and all these great uh, soldiers and sailors and Marines alive. I agree. And Texas is very blessed to have it that right there too. So I think it's, it's, I can't wait. It's going to be an amazing, amazing tribute to, 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 to see. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of them be there together. So yes, definitely. So that's incredible. You'll get to meet the family. We'll all be there. Awesome. (laughs) Dave, I'm sure you have more questions. You know, for for everyone um, listening to, uh, what what would you like to share, kind of to to the, you know, broader audience, um, upon you know, re- reflection and and service to country. I, I mean, your 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 dad's. Um, story and inspiration is um so so profound and amazing and and uh appreciative and what what would you like to you know kind of share with uh our listeners i think that we have a sense of uh, an obligation to um to honor every single person who signs up and joins our military who signs up to defend our country. Mm-hmm. And um, it takes a, it takes a special person to want to give up their life, um, e- even if they don't go off into battle, just joining the military in and of itself. You know, you do risk so much in and of itself, and you're not just risking your life, you're, you're risking your future. And um, that we as Americans, as people who live in the country that they're defending, we need to treat each other, ourselves, a whole lot better than what we do. And we need to take note of what these men and women are actually doing for us and not abuse the privileges that we have. 
Um, I we, we see it too often, too many people who do abuse privileges and uh, things that are going on in our, you know, just our words, we abuse our words, we abuse each other. Mm-hmm. We, um, so many things, we abuse our flag. We, we abuse the very thing that these men and women are dying for. And so I think we need to take note of that and um, be a little bit more respectful and cognizant of the fact that um, it's still, it's still here. These men and women are still giving up their tomorrows so that we can enjoy our todays. So be respectful of that. And, and so, yeah, so, so thoughtful and, and appreciative of every day what our service members today are going through and, and the legacies of uh, heroes like your father. Yeah, and to, to hear their stories and mm-hmm. to, ask, to ask for their stories and to share their stories and to get to know people and... Um, you know, just to learn, learn as much as we can. We have so many things to be grateful for. And, and a lot of us just kind of miss, miss the, you know, we miss it. We miss everything that, that we have in front of us, the opportunities that we have in front of us. And we miss it because we get too complacent, you know? Mm. Um, And yeah, yeah, we and see, uh, as we pass by, you know, significant holidays like uh, uh, Memorial Day, where um, we we reflect and appreciate upon that, and really uh, right. need, to take, need to take time to uh, feel about what that means. And yeah, and to be respectful, to learn, and I'm guilty of it myself, as especially when I was younger, but as you grow older, you know, we, we learn so much just by reading and by seeing, um, but you know, that Memorial Day, for example, like you said, it, it's, it's, it's a time to remember those who gave up their lives and risked their lives for us, um, and so many people forget that. They forget what the true meaning of the day is all about. And um, and to, to be respectful with, with the words that you use when you post a social media post, you know, be, th- be thinking about how am I going to, yes, I, I need to, I want to celebrate this day, but is celebrate the word that I want to use, you know, because it, it's, uh, it's honoring the day. Right. It, 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 it's yeah. uh, reflecting and, upon. Yeah, too many people don't truly know or take the time to know or to learn what the day is all about. And so they're like celebrating Memorial Day with hamburgers and hot dogs or whatever, you know, Um, but just just be mindful because so many lives were lost on that day. And for for some, it's not a day of, quote unquote, celebrating. It's a day of remembering. Uh, Of mourning and remembering and reflecting upon. Exactly. And, and honoring. Absolutely. It's, it's a sober occasion um, th- that we reflect upon. I, yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. So that if, if anyone is listening to this podcast and one, yeah. wants to honor the legacy of your father, is there a scholarship or something that they could uh, contribute to? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
we started a scholarship. I say we, my siblings and I, Denise and Noel, we started a scholarship in our father's memory, the Master Sergeant Roy P. Benavides Memorial Scholarship. And um, we, the funds are taken care of by um, a secretary at the school who's in charge of all the funds for all, this, all of the scholarships. So certainly we appreciate obviously donations from people because that's what keeps his scholarships going. We try to give um, as many as we can on a yearly basis. Um, it is to the students there um, at El Campo High School, which is the school that my mother graduated from and all of the grandchildren. And the school, my dad attended up until eighth grade, but you know he spoke at many of the schools there in El Campo, which is the town that they retired to um, after the military, but um, they can send donations to 600 West Norris Street, West Norris, N-O-R-R-I-S Street in El Campo. That's two words, Texas 77437. Any and all donations are appreciated. Um, also, um, there's several books that are out there that um, you know they can rent from a local library or download or buy off of Amazon. Um, and that's also helping to uh, share his legacy. And But most importantly, is just sharing his story. I know so many people are on different social media sites. And so I think the biggest compliment is to go on um, his YouTube page that I administer or Facebook page that I administer or Instagram and just kind of scroll and see what we've posted about our father and then share, share that with as many people as possible because there's the younger generation um, they don't really know about him. And so, you know, there's a certain group of people who obviously know and have heard about him, but it's the younger kids that we need to try to, you know, get his message across to and um, share his stories. And um, there's no shame in that, you know, no shame at all. So just sharing his story is a great um, way to help honor his legacy. That 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 was great, and and uh, I'll tell you um, in a small thing. So I was born on May second, nineteen sixty eight. Wow, that's just a crazy coincidence. Or wow, or that is. I that think is. I'm going to be tied to your father's uh, memory for the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, not with me. Definitely. I, there's just so many people who can relate to my dad, and you know we get emails all the time from people. Um, you know, and he, obviously he saved uh, the lives of at least eight men on his mission. Um, if he could have saved more, he would have. Unfortunately, a lot of the people who um, he loaded into the aircraft were um, already deceased, but he didn't want to leave anybody behind. But um, he's still saving lives. We, we get emails from people all the time, and particularly me, I'll get messages from people who, um, because as we know, um, mental health is a huge issue that we face every day and nobody is um, immune to it. We all know somebody or have dealt with it. And even this day, to this day, you know, I get messages from people who have, who were on the brink of death, um, suicidal. Somehow they saw my dad's um, story and 
changed their mind and they're alive because of my dad. So he's still saving lives. And that's why I think it's important to share his story in any way that you can by either gifting somebody with his book or um, gifting somebody with a share that you've posted on your site that others can see because you never know so many of us suffer in silence and you never know what somebody is going through. And if they can just be read his story and see everything that he's gone through and be inspired by it, then they've helped in that way. So um, thank you. Yes. Thank you, Yvette. This was really amazing. And uh, we'll do everything we can to keep his legacy and, and memory alive as well. And we look forward to visiting with you, you know, when the Medal of Honor Museum finally opens in Texas. Yes. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. This podcast is a co-production brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. And Dairy Cam, who believes a better world starts with a connected community. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org and dairycam.org. Follow the Homeland Heroes Salute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Heroes Salute wherever you listen to podcasts. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. Views expressed in this podcast do not represent any of the uniformed services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, Swim with a Mission, Harbor Care, Veterans First, or any other organization.